These words from 1 John 2, beginning in verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. A question as we begin our study of these words of God today, and it's a question that I've asked often in recent messages, but it's one that these words compel me to ask again. And that is, how certain are you of the eternal condition of your soul? Do you know with absolute certainty that if you died at this moment, you would go to be with Christ in heaven? Do you know with absolute certainty? So certain that you can walk comfortably and confidently through these days on into eternity. That is the intention that God has for giving these words in this passage that you and I might be prompted to examine our souls and especially our behaviors and to ask the right questions of ourselves about this matter of eternal salvation. Now some would wonder if a person is really able to know with certainty about these things. And they'll say, well, we can only hope that we are saved. I have shared this with you in the past, but it reminds me of a question that I posed often to this elderly friend of mine some many years ago. I would bring her lunch and sit and talk. She especially enjoyed keeping abreast of the financial market, stocks and bonds, and we'd talk about that. She had an excellent grasp of how to invest money. But as often as I could, which was quite often, I would lead our conversations around to the question of her relationship with Christ because she was already in her 80s and was coming close to spending that first moment in front of Christ in judgment. And when I'd pose this question that I've asked here today about her eternal salvation, she would only answer, well, I hope so. Well, I hope so. And each time that she would say that, I would say back to her, just as I'm saying to you and me today, we really can know for sure. And God tells us that we can know for sure. And I quoted this verse to her on several occasions. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It really is so vitally important for each of us to know the truth about this question of eternal salvation. That we really can know for sure that we're eternally saved. And we should also know what it takes in order for us to have eternal salvation. And it's all given to us very clearly here in 1 John. Recall that we studied these words 
in messages just previous to this one from 1 John 5, 11-13. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. These are simple words and simple requirements that you and I can believe and we can trust. To have eternal life, we must have Jesus, the Son of God, and we must believe on His name. Here in today's passage, John is bringing this very spiritual matter of our salvation and the necessity of our living it out every moment of our life out into the reality of what takes place on a daily basis in this sinful and and fallen world of ours. And his words bespeak the problems and conditions that we've been examining over the past few messages. That of sin being ever-present and of it pursuing after us as we live and move and have our being within this ever-present darkness that's all around us each day. May I read again our passage for today. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is the sin that he's speaking about that is ever pursuing us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Now, throughout this book of 1 John, God speaks in very strong words about our attitudes towards sin, admonishing us to check ourselves carefully, saying, in essence, if you think yourself to be saved, but you still continue to practice the same old sinful behaviors that you practiced before you prayed that sinner's prayer, then you probably are not really saved. 1 John 3, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Plain words. Verse 9 of 1 John 3, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Those are very strong words. It's difficult for us to take those words and make them mild and permissive. Some preachers describe the Apostle John as being hard-nosed and stern. And I can agree, except 
that these words given to us by John were first given to John by the Holy Spirit. So this sternness that we're reading here in these words is coming from God. And we need to heed the things that He's saying. And here in today's passage is some of the hard-nosed sternness that's coming from God. But then notice also, along with the sternness, He also gives fatherly kind of counsel, beginning with kind words of love, calling us His dear children. His dear children. And here warning us to always take care. Because even though we be truly saved, sin does not ever cease its relentless pursuit of us, continually tempting us to sin. May I say to us again, I've said this warning so many, many times, but I need to give it again, that sin is not just a matter of you or I stumbling over, tripping over one of God's laws. Sin comes looking for us. Sin has a nature and a power all its own. It is a relentless predator that is always pursuing after you and after me, after our souls. As we're told in Genesis 3, sin desires to have you, to have me, to have and to control our eternal souls. And our only hope for protection from its power, from sin's power, is to be born again of God and have His seed abiding in us. The words I read a moment ago from 1 John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The seed that God speaks about here that he put into our soul at the moment we were first saved. That's his very nature. The living word of God, the Lord Jesus. And he helps and guides and protects us as we wander each day through the minefields of of sin. Now thankfully, even when we do let our guard down, and we do often, and sin is there to grab hold of us, Jesus will always be near, our ever-present intercessor, and here he's called our advocate, our advocate, and he'll surely come to our aid. Listen, verse 1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now he's giving the circumstance of where, yes, we are truly saved. If anyone who is truly saved does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, this word advocate, it brings to my mind a courtroom kind of setting with Satan, whose name is accuser, serving as the prosecutor. And there before the courts of God, Satan presents his case, accusing us of each of the sins that we commit. And it's not as if we haven't committed those sins. We have. So he is making an accurate accusation. So you have then the prosecutor, the accuser, Satan, 
standing there before the courts of God, accusing us of those sins. But then also standing there in the courts of God is Jesus. He is our advocate, presenting the perfect defense on our part. His righteous blood. And by His defense, the sins that Satan is accusing us of are eternally forgiven and wiped away from our soul. Expunged, if you will. Expunged from our record. Never to come up against us again. That calls for praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now care must be taken that we truly understand these words. Because it was and always will be the righteousness of Christ that cleanses us and takes away our sins. Our advocate is Christ the righteous. And it will be His righteousness and His righteousness alone that will cleanse us and take away the guilt of all those sins. Yes, we are to obey Him and always have good behavior. That's a necessity. But for this matter of sin, it is the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ that can take away our sins and to make us clean. Now here Jesus is called our propitiation for our sins. We've talked about this in the past, but I do want us to take a moment and consider the full intent of of its meaning because propitiation really is a rarely used and seldom understood word in our daily conversation. But propitiation is the perfect word to explain what Jesus has done for us. It is the perfect word, the only one that can explain what Jesus has done. The Greek word for propitiation is hilosmos. Hilosmos. And it implies a combination of meanings, part of it expiation and part of it propitiation. And in this context, propitiation means both the taking away of the guilt of our sins through the payment of our penalty, and then its meaning becomes complete as God accepts the atonement of Christ's sacrifice and removes the enmity, the separation that our sin has brought between us and God. And it allows us then to be restored into fellowship with God. Propitiation, again, is the perfect word because no one else's suffering, no one else's blood, no one else's sacrifice would have been sufficient and acceptable only the Lord Jesus. No one else. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Every part of the process of propitiation is a transaction between the Lord Jesus and God the Father. Nothing, nothing that you or I can do will accomplish the same kind of cleansing and restoration. Simply put, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, died for our sins and God the Father accepted His sacrifice, His atonement, allowing us sinful wretches to come back in and to abide in God's holy presence. A lot of people may have tried over time to die to make someone else holy, but no living creature, no living person can do that. Only Christ. Yes, they can die. They can go through suffering similar to Christ. But God is not going to accept it because it is not an acceptable payment. Only the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus, is acceptable sacrifice. 
The only thing that you and I can do to be a part of that whole process is humble repentance. And he told us about that in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only thing that you and I can do and must do is humble repentance. Now, praise be to God, his propitiation is ever continuing, ongoing, never ending. What Christ did there on the cross is ever effectual. In a spiritual sense, his blood is an ever-flowing atonement for our sins, both past, present, and future. And we need that because we have those daily lures that come from out of the darkness, and we struggle with them. And so his atonement is ever-flowing, past, present, and future. And going back to the first question that we asked, this that we're talking about here, this is the answer. This is the answer. This is how we obtain a sure and eternal salvation. When we have Christ, we have all the benefits of His propitiation. And because of that, you and I can rest with confidence that we are truly and eternally saved. You'll never have to say again, well, I hope so. You can know for sure. But then as these words tell us, with salvation then firmly rooted within our souls, there are behaviors and responses that really ought to begin to flow out from that righteousness that Christ has put within us. And we're given here in, beginning in verse 3, we're given a simple way to measure those behaviors and responses. Listen to these words again. Verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Simple. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Then listen, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Measurements, measurements. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Easy measurements. Are we walking in the same way that He walked? Now, as we each know well, once we are saved and we begin that transition out from that darkness into the light, it's really not often a smooth and easy change. We have built up a lifetime of entrenched behaviors and sinful habits. And too often, too often we really have enjoyed most of those old ways. Curse words were an easy way to express our thoughts. How often do you hear it? Curse words are an easy way to express our emotions and our thoughts. And lying, telling a lie, was a convenient way for us to avoid difficult circumstances. Immorality was a natural part of our lifestyle. We hardly took notice of immoral behavior and foul language. But now in our salvation, as the light of the presence of Christ shines in on our behaviors, He begins to reveal the true nature of the wrongness of all of those things. And we begin to be convicted of our need to change. 
and the transition spoken about here beginning in verse 3 to take place, listen. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. We begin to change. Verse 5, But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Evidences of the true relationship that we have with Him. Now again, this transition is not an easy one. As I mentioned a moment ago, we probably really did like and enjoy many of our old habits and our old behaviors. And because of that, we still stumble. Often. But these words are a promise to you and me that if and as we do our part to abide in the presence of Christ, the right and the righteous things of Him will begin then to replace those old habits, those old behaviors, and they'll begin to flow out as righteous ones. And then we'll find ourselves doing, as he says here, walking daily with him. Walking daily with him. May we close with these precious words. My dear children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.